He was attacked by some dogs and had to have several stitches and clamps. Also pray for an unspoken request there. Please pray for the salvation of Aaron, Virgie, Piper, and Eva, Titus, and Penelope in due time. Pastor Michael was mentioning our nation and all that goes along with that. Pray for Michelle and Brother Galen for their health, the Dodds. I guess most of y'all got that notification today. Melissa lost her aunt. They're going to be traveling to Louisiana, so please pray for them. Please continue to pray for Miss Juanita's knee. And Pat Stewart has a cough and a cold. Please pray for her. And then Joan Urban asked us to pray for her brother-in-law, Ronald Fox. He's been weak and not able to eat for a few days. Please pray for him as well. Go ahead and go to the Lord prayer, and I'll start us off tonight. Father, as we bow our heads tonight, we are thankful for the rain that is falling outside, and just rejoice that you sent it in accordance with your holy will. We just pray that it will, um, won't be any problems or accidents tonight as our folks are traveling home. Lord, we do pray for this upcoming election as we 
consider the state of our country and ask that you would um, give our leaders wisdom and uh, particularly the president with his staff uh, that they would guide in the most holy manner that they would uh, be protected and right now there's so many that would love to see them perish off the face of this earth and so we just ask that you would protect them and guide them help them to judge rightly I pray too that Threats of unrest and violence that are being spoken against our nation uh, would be quelled, and that and that evildoers would be punished quickly, and that um, the sheriffs of this nation would band together and not allow uh, injury to any of their citizenry that is under their care. I pray too that you would do the unspoken request Brother Tommy has. Lord, we pray again for the health needs of Virgil Key, Rodney Trimble, Mark Kyle, and we ask that your healing there and your comfort and encouragement as well. Also for the unconverted children, the lost loved ones, and the long family, and an unspoken prayer request there as well. Please say Dean and Lila at an early age. Father, we ask that you would continue to care for uh, Tammy's aunt not doing well, and we just ask that you would give the doctors wisdom and that if they can do dialysis, that this might greatly aid her in her recovery. And I pray that we would hear good news from the dermatologist's appointment for Tammy tomorrow. No problems there. Lord, three families that I have before me lost loved ones, one by their own hand. And so I'm praying that you would give comfort tonight to Pace family, the Nix family, and the Henson family. And Lord, we forget not the Williams family uh, that just performed the funeral for this week. So many deaths just right here together. We just ask that you uh, would give great comfort as only you can do through all of this. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to be together. Thank you for giving us a comfortable facility and an opportunity to come together in the middle of the week. We're grateful for the, the blessing that you gave us one day out of seven to rest and focus on spiritual things, but then above and beyond that, we get this opportunity. And so we pray you bless us with your word tonight, your fellowship. We do pray that you might hear our prayers tonight for Jesus' sake. We pray for Corey, the cat got some dogs and had to have stitches and clamps. We pray that this would heal quickly, that there wouldn't be any complications from this. You'd be back to 100% very quickly. Please be with the Urbans who are staying in tonight. Be with Brother Galen and his health needs. You should also be with your own brother-in-law. Ronald Fox, who's been weak and not able to eat for a few days, that you might strengthen him and he be, be able to eat again soon and, and recover the strength that he needs. We pray you'd save those who are unconverted and like the family. Pray so regularly for Aiden and his virgin and ask that your mercy might bring them to repentance. We pray for the little ones, Piper and Eva and Titus and Penelope, that you would save each of them at early ages as well. 
creation. Maybe she calls us to have leaders who love godliness and righteousness and truth. And even as we sang about tonight, that you would push down those that would stand against you and your law. Will you pray for Sister Cheryl, Galen, Juanita, Pat, who's got a cough and a cold right now, and the dogs as they mourn the loss of an aunt and the travel that's going to be associated with that. We pray they might be a great blessing and encouragement to their family and give them the safety of travel. I think particularly Ms. Carolyn is not going to be able to travel. Please give her peace. Bless her. We again ask you to attend the preaching of your word tonight with your spirit tonight. Open our, our minds and our hearts to hear uh, the word that we become even more obedient to it. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Brother Tommy, uh, when we're finished with this sermon, I have a question I need to ask you, so don't take off too fast. Okay. And, uh... All right, let's stand to our feet as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read a few verses here. This is uh, verses 17 through 19. And Paul is telling Timothy to charge them that are rich in this world... That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, that they are ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Father, as we come to this portion of Scripture, I pray that we would not dismiss this outright as not being applicable to any of us. But help us to see how blessed we are, how wealthy we are, and how the same temptations could be upon us that he was warning Timothy to warn the rich about. I pray that we would be obedient to the scriptures tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I was thinking as Pastor Josh was reading the verses from the psalm about the psalm, about the verses we were about to sing, and then the word would be preached following that. And I was thinking about the history of the church. It's always the church has read the scriptures, sang the scriptures, and preached the scriptures. It's like this triune activity that always happens in a Bible-centered church. And it's a very comfort to me to, to hear it each week, and I rejoice in it. Well, beginning a new section of 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm not going to be preaching to you for the next two Wednesday nights. Pastor Josh will have the privilege to bring some messages to you as I'll be out of town uh, one Wednesday evening, be back that Sunday, and then... We'll be gone again the following Wednesday, but we'll be back that following Sunday. So I'm going to try to give an introduction tonight of some sort to the passage here before us. And then hopefully on October 14th, complete the thought. Seems like forever, but it's really, really not. 
Uh, we'll be together several times between now and then. And, and I know you're not going to remember everything that I'm going to tell you tonight. So on the 14th, I'll do a slight review uh, to help us get back to speed on this particular topic. I, I don't know if Pastor Josh will continue preaching on this or if he'll uh, bring something to you on his own. Um, but you will be tested on this material. In fact, before you get home tonight or as early as tomorrow morning, you're going to be tested on this material. You're tested on your ability to capture, retain, and use the teaching of the Word of God on a daily, even a moment-by-moment basis. It's amazing how I have preached something and get with my wife about ten minutes after the service and break one of the very things that I just preached on. Maybe I, I was preaching on loving her as Christ loved the church or or something of that nature, and I'm short with her, or I don't act like I ought to act, and I fail immediately the test, which was, can you obey the preaching of the Word of God? Because that's really, when you sit under the preaching, you're being called to be obedient to the commands and teachings of Scripture. And, and, and we fail in that, do we not? It, and, and it's so frustrating when we do, and so I would hope that this will be something you'll hang on to. Now, the reason for our most grotesque departure from obedience to the Word, to the simplest what we would call slip-ups in departing from the Word, are simply not applying the Word of God to our lives as it is preached. So, uh, having a review in a few weeks will not hurt us. It will only help us. Now, when we think of wealth, we normally think of those that we have little or no contact with. Someone that is usually outside of our present scope of association is who we call wealthy. That's normally how we think about it. Too often we think of them as the happiest and most satisfied individuals. Now it's true, we do think that. The reason that I know this is true is because of the things we say about wealth. Like this, if I had their money, I wouldn't be complaining. Have you ever said something like that? Well, I don't know what they're not happy about. They got more money than they can spend. So we have this worldly view that having a lot of money equals happiness. Or else we wouldn't say foolish things like that. But we say it. I don't know what they're upset about. They live in a big old nice house with a swimming pool, new car, good job. How could they be dissatisfied with life? Why are they complaining? What do they got reasons to be sad about? If I had a million dollars, I wouldn't be driving this old clunker. If I was rich, I'd tell you what I'd do, and so on and so on. It's as if wealth is the automatic elixir to unhappiness. If I've got money, I'm automatically happy. If I've got money, I, I, I can't get depressed. I won't lose sleep. I won't get an ulcer because i got money. Because money cures all things. Well, we know that's simply not true, don't we? In 1923, nine of the richest, most wealthy men in the world met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago... Illinois. 
This is who was there. The president of the world's largest steel company was there. The president of the largest gas company. The president of the largest utility company. The world's greatest uh, wheat speculator. The president of the New York Stock Exchange was there. A member of the presidential cabinet was there. A Wall Street tycoon was there. The head of the world's largest monopoly was there. And lastly, the president of the Bank of International Settlements. Now they met that day and each of those men knew all of the secrets of generating and manipulating capital. You think about those titles and those positions. They were at the top of the game. They could own anything that could be bought with money or power because they had them both. They could have anything they wished for delivered to them, hand-delivered to them at any moment of the day. They had butlers, maids, cooks, transportation that they never had to drive a vehicle, bodyguards. They had everything imaginable to make them happy. But all of those men held one thing in common that none of them knew they had in common that day. That within the next decade, every one of them would have lost everything they had. The president of the largest independent steel company that was there, Charles Schwab. He lived on borrowed money for the last five years of his life and he died in bankruptcy. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, went insane. The president of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died in a foreign land penniless and was a fugitive from justice. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cotton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was sent to the infamous Sing Sing Penitentiary. A member of the presidential cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could go home to die. The Wall Street tycoon, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide, the head of the world's largest monopoly, Ivan Kruger committed suicide, and the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. Those nine of the most wealthy men in the entire world, and within a decade, had either killed themselves, died penniless, or were imprisoned for their crimes because of how they handled their money. These men had set their hopes on riches. They were trusting in, as verse 17 in our text tells us or declares, uncertain riches. Their hope was not in God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, I think our text should not be taken lightly. I don't think it should be taken lightly. 
we read over it with little regard to the words because the only thing we think is rich are people like these guys. They're rich. They're the ones with money problems. They have the problems of hanging on to it, and if they lose it, they seem to kill themselves. We categorize someone other than ourselves as rich, don't we? Always, they're richer than I am. The truth is, as we have amenities that outweigh the most luxurious amenities in the world, our homes are some of the best homes on the planet. We enjoy foods in such abundance. The diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. To lose weight in the United States is a multi-billion dollar industry. And yet we pass this by with little regard. For those of you that have traveled abroad, you know what I'm talking about. Brother Chris and I were joking the other day about there was a plate of food there and it was, he said that's about four times the serving size as you would get in Europe. If you've ever eaten in Europe, you think they're trying to starve you. I remember that we stayed at a hotel one time and they had a breakfast buffet and I was very excited about the breakfast buffet because the breakfast buffet is where you can go down and just eat ridiculous amounts of pastries and things of this nature and just fill up on coffee and smile for a few hours till you're sick. And we went down to this place in Europe and we went down and there were these little slices of smoked salmon laying on this tray and a couple little pieces of fruit and coffee and that was their breakfast buffet. I was like, seriously, they only have enough here for me. And besides, who would eat this raw-looking fish? And uh, so anyway, they have a whole different mindset than we do. And we look, look at our stuff, we're like, we'll go up to a refrigerator full of food, we'll open the door and go, ain't nothing here to eat. I don't understand. I wish there was something here to eat. We can get very high-minded about our riches, too. Our riches can take away our heart. We can trust in uncertain riches as easily as the ultra-wealthy can. You let the stocks drop and someone that has their retirement tied up in stocks and watch them tremble. You watch somebody say, well, we're going to have to start laying off a few people because things are not going so well here at the plant, and they begin to tremble. Because really our hope is tied up in that almighty dollar. This is a call. This section of scripture is a call for every one of us here tonight who've ever trusted in riches. And as verse 17 says, I love the way it says it there that nor trust in uncertain riches. Because that's exactly what they are. Now we discover in this closing note in this letter It's really a clarification of an earlier verse. Go back up to verse number 9. This is a clarification of what he just said. He says in verse 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if that little section of verse was all we were left with, we might get the wrong impression. We might believe that it would be a sin to be rich because of the inherent dangers to it. At the very least, it would just be wise not to be rich. But Paul clears that up. In fact, he explains there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. You see... The gospel is for the haves and the have-nots. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit without regard to whether they are economically impoverished or not. That's not how the gospel works. Being poor economically, and I say this, I hope as clearly as I can, being poor economically does not make you one whit holier than a wealthy person. But the wealthy person has more temptations than the poor person might have in certain areas. The poor person may be tempted to steal, where the wealthy person might not be tempted to steal. The odd thing is, is when they pick up shoplifters here in America, most of them have enough money in their wallets to pay for the items they stole, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe they're trying to save back for a rainy day. Well, the Ephesians needed to hear this because that while there were many slaves in the church at Ephesus, and we see that through history, Paul knew that there were also elect among the wealthy. So he spoke to them remindingly, just because you may have wealth, don't think of yourself higher than anyone else in that congregation. Nor were they to trust in those riches, which will surely take wings and fly away at any moment. Because that's what wealth does. Wealth just goes away. It was so funny. One time we were, I was in the Navy and, and, and just rolling in money. And we had so much money we couldn't know what to do with it hardly. And, and of course my wife was, man, she had everything budgeted out. And we were being real careful with how we were spending our money. Because it was, it was really tight. And, uh, and I remember... We were going to come home on a trip. We were going to take a trip home, and, and I had about a week's leave and everything, and I had just bought a car, and it was a little old used car. It was a called a K car. I don't know if anybody remembers the K car. When you start labeling your cars with just letters, you know you have lost all imagination, and the car must not be worth much. Does anybody still drive a K car here today? No, I wonder why. Because they weren't K with classic with a K, were they? Uh, they were not at all. And I remember I told my wife, I said, you know, I need to do a little work on the engine tomorrow since we're leaving the next day. I said it would be a great idea to clean the engine before um, we, I, I start to work on it. She was like, that's a great idea. Well, the carburetor had a leak in it, and I didn't know how bad the leak was. And I pulled up into it, uh, a pressure wash car wash thing and, and I took some gunk and I started spraying the engine and all of a sudden it went whoosh and caught on fire. And every bit of the gunk that I had sprayed on that engine I had coated everything. I Everything in there had a coat of gunk on it and I blew that thing up and it was sitting there burning and I'm looking at it and I'm like, seriously? I am not going to be able to work on this thing tomorrow. My wife and my two children were in the car two of them were in the car seat sitting there and I was looking around and I said, the car's on fire, y'all might ought to get out. 
And so they get out of the car. And I remember the firemen coming up. I, what was worse is it was burning to the ground. And it was Halloween night. And there was a guy dressed up like a female pirate. And a guy in a Gumby suit that ran out of the store with a fire extinguisher each. And I was sitting there looking at it thinking, this is like the Twilight Zone. You know, I don't even know what's happening. And, and the Gumby comes up and he's in this big styrofoam suit. And he's green and everything. He goes, stand back, I'll take care of this. And takes his foot and throws it up on the hood and pushes the hood down with his foot. And as soon as he does it, fire blows out the bottom and the tires go boom, boom, and blow out. And, and he's just sitting there just burning, you know. So when the firemen get there, they do the only thing natural. They have some device on the end of their hose, and they just walk it straight through the radiator. And turn it on, and I watch the dashboard blow off into the front, and water fills the interior of the car, fires out like that. So I call a record service, and he says, where would you like me to tow it? I said, can we get in it? And you tow it to Florence, Alabama. We were living in Virginia Beach. It was terrible. It was gone. Well, we didn't go on our trip. We did not come home that week. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, we had just been able to save enough money to go home. Just then. We had just enough. Now, if we don't have any problems and we don't have any flats and we don't eat, we can drive from Virginia to Florence, Alabama. And Shalane's like, no problem. I'll pack us a lunch. We'll do everything. We won't stop for anything but bathrooms. And we'll do great in our awesome K-car station wagon. Well, we didn't make it. And the Lord probably saved us from some heartache of a breakdown on the highway and my dad having to drive somewhere and fix the car. So it was a, it was a blessing for everybody that we didn't go. But I just remember how tight we were and how we had just saved. And we just put that together. Money will take wings and it will fly away before you know it. If you're depending on it, if that's where your hope is resting, God has a way of reminding you that is not what you better be hoping in. Instead, we took that vacation money and we put down on a Dodge Dart Custom and I was riding in style. So the Lord was merciful. We got us another car and so things were fine. But don't depend on it. Because if you do, you're going to be sorely distressed. Now, the message to the wealthy assumes that some Christians will be wealthy. It just assumes it. Because he's addressing this to the church there at Ephesus. There's going to be some very wealthy people among you. And they need to be charged with some things. They need to be reminded. In fact, as if to emphasize just how wealthy they are, the Greek word for rich is used four times in four separate ways in verses 17 and 18. It's used as an adjective, a noun, an adverb, and a verb. Look, look at it here with us. Charge them that are rich. That's the adjective. Charge them that are rich in this world. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. There's the noun. But in the living God who giveth us richly, there's the adverb, all things to enjoy. That they do good and that they be rich. There is our verb in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing. Willing to communicate. Um, 
I think it's interesting that they are rich in this world. Paul is emphasizing, saying, I'm not talking about being rich in spiritual things. I'm talking about really wealth, things that are physical and tangible, the rich in this world. They are looked at by the world as people that have a lot of substance. And so he's making it very clear so that there's no misunderstanding in this as to who he's talking to. It is like he is saying, how many ways can I say this to you that you understand? I'm talking about wealth here. I'm talking about people that have something. In the good providence of God, most of us live in comfortable circumstances. We either own a home or we rent a nice apartment or an accommodation that at least meets or exceeds our present needs. We wear clothing that is not only fairly stylish but of good quality. If you walk up to anyone's pantry, you might see your favorite foods and not just the bare staples. There's things there that are what we would call luxury foods. We don't need to feel guilty about any of those things, but rather don't become proud. That's the charge. Don't become high-minded over the fact that you can buy Pringles and your neighbor can't. Don't become high-minded over the fact that you can buy steak and they can only buy chicken. Don't, don't get high-minded over this particular thing. Don't look at these material things as though they are something to be valued to trust in. In fact, verse 17, the key component is mentioned. Rather, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Yeah, and God, God's laid this out in such a way you can't make a mistake in understanding this passage. I can't tell you how much I enjoy my back porch. I don't get to sit on it as much as I would like to, but I really like my back porch. I enjoy it when I can. I really like my air conditioning. There is no question about it. Uh, summers in Alabama, I enjoy my air conditioner. An ice maker is a luxury that I would not want to do without. I really like it. In fact, all of those little luxuries God has given us richly all things, and so we should enjoy them. But they are uncertain. They are uncertain riches. They are things that could easily fail us in a moment, and your faith is immediately tested when one of those things fails. The moment one of them fails, we're immediately tested as to what kind of faith we have. And we forget, you know, now wait a minute. Up until the past century, nobody even imagined enjoying what you just lost. I mean, there was no air conditioner a hundred years ago. There was no there was no automated ice makers a hundred years ago. There were porches, but probably not with ceiling fans on them. My porch has a ceiling fan on it. I mean, that's that's almost crazy. But it does. And if the ceiling fan broke, you know what? I would think, well, I need to replace this ceiling fan. The ceiling fan is broke on my porch. Because that's a luxury and can't do without that, can we? So, the charge is to the wealthy. Those that have abundance above others, that they should not become proud and haughty with what they have, nor trust in them. But how does a person trust in riches? That might be a question you've got. Because it was a question for me, and I thought, I need to look this... Look this over closely. How 
does one trust in his riches? Well, in Proverbs 23 and verse number 5, here's what we know. He says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Now he's saying, wealth is as if it is not there. Because it can take wings and it can fly away. For riches certainly make themselves wings. There it is. He says, why would you set your eyes upon that which is not? Now, to set your eyes upon something in Scripture has a strong intimation that I am gazing upon it longingly as the, as the object of my affection. I'm setting my eyes upon it. All my goals, when I'm, when I'm going towards something, I'm normally looking at it as I'm going toward it so that I can ensure that I can get there. And so it's a very strong emphasis to set your eyes upon something that's not yours. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. That is the truth. So we can trust in our riches by making it the focus of our vision in life. We can look upon it with absolute hope and say, this is, this is why I'm living this is what I'm going after. I'm trusting in this. There's a portion in the book of Job. Turn over to the book of Job, if you'd like, um, where he begins to go through all of the possibilities of his treasonous heart that could have brought so sore a judgment upon him. And you may remember when Pastor Josh preached through this section, and, and, I, and I remember I was looking in my Bible at some of the notes that I took, and, and I, was, I was thinking it through. Um, Job was really hard on himself. Because he was super wealthy. He had super abundance in his time. I mean, things that just would make other people jealous. And he lost it all just in, in a day. It was all gone. And, and it seemed like the way the reading was, it was just lost in a matter of an hour. Everything was gone. It was just like swept away instantly. And so Job is really hard on the Lord, what have I done? How have I sinned against you? And, and he makes this statement. He said, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above. But what is the iniquity that was so great that he would be punished by the judge and it would appear that he was denying God? What iniquity was so big that he would make a statement like that, that, you know, this iniquity should be punished by the judge, and it looks like I've just denied God. What would it be? Well, one of them that he mentions, he mentions a huge list of things that he said, this, I should be judged for this, and this looks like I'm denying God. And it is this, verse 24, if I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gotten much. He said, now there would be a reason that I ought to be judged by the judges. The judges ought to stand in judgment of me to have the attitude that gold was my hope. So whatever judgment has befallen me, I deserved it if that was the case, if that was my sin. He said, and also, it would appear that I had denied God if I made gold my hope. 
If I'd made fine gold my confidence, if that was the thing I was depending on, if that was the thing I was leaning upon, if I rejoiced because my wealth was great, ha ha, look at me how much money I've got. I'm rejoicing in this. I've got so much wealth. Yes, I'm rich. You know, you may have seen these videos where somebody takes money and they just spit it off, you know, out of a stack. They've got so much money they can just throw it around. I remember that Donald Duck's uncle that would dive into gold, you know, gold coins and swim in it like a swimming pool. And, and, and you look at somebody like that, that's somebody rejoicing in their wealth. You know, they have so much wealth. He said, now if I've done that, then I ought to be punished by the judge. It would look like I had denied my God because my hand had gotten much. Well, we need to realize that trusting in our riches can certainly appear like a denial of God because of the way we act. Our riches make us think that they almost have the power of eternal life, but yet no rich man has lived forever. Even though they've got all the wealth, there's no rich men that have figured out how to go on living. There have been several science fiction movies that have come out over the years that always have some wealthy guy that's put himself into suspended animation and he'll be you know, awakened when they find the cure to his disease. Maybe he had cancer and he's like, you know, freeze me. And then when they find the cure to this cancer, thaw me out. And of course, something happens. He gets thawed out early or late or something and then this movie ensues. And, but there's always the hope of the wealth. I've got enough money. Maybe I can cheat death. Go over to Psalm 49. Because people do put their trust in this. I, I, I see people invest money in all sorts of health schemes for the sole purpose of extending their life. Got to live a little longer. Maybe if I pour my money and my wealth into this, I can live longer. Psalm 49 and verse number 6. Now you're going to read this the way that I'm asking you to read it so that it will make sense for you. When we get to verse number 8, just skip verse number 8 and don't read it. Okay, We're going to go right to verse number 9. Verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. So you get, you get the understanding of what he's saying there. He said, there's people that trust in their wealth, they boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. That's what, that's what Job said he didn't want to be accused of, is, is loving gold and boasting in what he'd gotten with his hands. And yet, David says, there's those that trust in their wealth, they boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, but none of them can redeem by any means their brother. They just can't do it. They can't go and redeem their brother from his sins with money. And it says, nor give to God a ransom for him. You can't say, okay, how much is his soul worth? Just can't do that. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. There's nothing you can do to prevent that with your wealth. It's just impossible. Notice that parenthetical Sentence that is in between there that we skipped over. Because it's like he pauses at verse 7 and says, but let me explain what I mean. And I love how the scriptures are so clear in this. 
for the redemption of their souls is not worth a dime on earth. There's not enough money on earth. There's no coinage on earth that could make it worth. God said, oh, well, that amount of money would be worth it. Because he says this, their redemp- for the redemption of their souls is precious. Now, that's an important word in Scripture. The redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. What, what do we know about the redemption of a man's soul and the word precious? What immediately comes to your mind? Well, how about the precious blood of the Lamb that was shed for his church? He redeemed mankind. He redeemed his elect with his precious blood that was shed for his church. So the preciousness is something that is separate from wealth. But yet we look at wealth and consider it precious. It was J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the writer who came up with the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings that that just made such fanfare uh, over the years. And the object of desire in the entire movie had the nickname of My Precious. And it was a ring. It was a golden ring. But it held the power of immortality. And a person that would have that ring in his possession could effectively live forever. And it's, I don't think it's ironic that he called it that precious thing. Because it is only by the precious blood that a soul can be redeemed forever. And so the psalmist is saying very plainly, you can by no means redeem your brother or give to God a ransom that he should live forever and not see corruption. You can't do it. There isn't any amount of wealth. I've told you the story of my aunt who passed away. They, they had laid her in state over here at St. Michael in St. Florine. And... Uh, The priest informed my uncle that for a certain amount of money she could get moved to a higher level of purgatory, making it closer to heaven. And so, of course, through the manipulation and, and the, uh, the way that uh, the Catholic Church has done for centuries and centuries, yea, centuries, he was manipulated into giving several thousand dollars to move her into a higher state of purgatory. So it, he didn't have enough, he didn't have quite enough to get her into heaven, but he had enough to get her to a closer state of heaven. And yet the psalmist clearly says there isn't an amount of money that you can pay a ransom to God. That's not how it works. The only ransom that could be paid was the Lamb of God that shed his Precious blood because the redemption of the soul is precious. It takes that. So we're ridiculous to think that our trust can be in riches for our eternal salvation. And one trusts wrongly on every account in riches because riches are uncertain and they may soon be taken away as we have seen. No dependence could be placed upon them in the emergencies in life. He who is rich today has no security that he will be rich tomorrow. 
And if he is rich tomorrow, he has no certainty that those riches will actually meet the necessities that will be placed upon him. We knew someone that had a lot of money laid aside for their retirement. Their wife got sick and their retirement funds were drained in just short order through trying to pay for her health care. He said, I had enough money that we could have lived in retirement two lifetimes over at the present way we were living. But I had no idea that this would happen and we would lose it all. A man whose house is in flames or who is shipwrecked or whose child is lying there dying, he cannot do anything different if his bank is full or if his bank is empty. Go with me to a parable in Luke chapter 12. You probably have heard this parable preached on numerous occasions. Luke chapter number 12, verse 16, and here is the parable. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now that's a blessing. When, when your land brings forth plentifully, rich or poor, that's a blessing. And he thought within himself, saying, Hmm, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruit? Nothing wrong with thinking through because this is what a prudent man does. A prudent man perceives the evil and he hides himself. The ant... Go to the ant thou slugger, look how she gathers her grain in the summer, and she's going to store it so she'll have something to eat in the winter. The fool's the grasshopper that just hops around from leaf to leaf eating green leaves, and then all of a sudden the first frost comes and the grasshopper doesn't have anything to eat. He's the fool. So there's nothing wrong with this scenario. This rich man, he has a great harvest this year, and he says, wow, I don't have anywhere to put all this grain. I don't have anywhere to bestow my fruits. He says, this is what I'll do. So he comes up with a business plan. Nothing wrong with coming up with a business plan, especially if you've got abundance. I'll pull down my barns because you know, I've got some barns that probably need some work done on them. Just be easier to tear them down and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. That's a great plan. That's a good business plan for anybody. Hey, you know, I've got this money. I need to do something with it. I've got this big harvest. I don't want it just waste. It would be foolish to leave it on the ground. This is what I'm going to do. So he hasn't done anything wrong at this point. Everything looks reasonable. And I will say to my soul, now here we go, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Oh, he's presuming on God now. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Anything wrong with eating, drinking, or being merry? Not at all. But the presumption of this man was absolutely foolish because God said unto him, Thou fool. Listen to what he said. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The presumptuous fool was only concerned with his coffers and not his soul. He was only worried about what he could make in this life and what he could do with it, but not his eternal state. And God said, that's the most foolish. You could have the best harvest and build the biggest barns and have the biggest bank accounts, but if you've not prepared for your soul's eternal state, you are the biggest fool in the bunch. tells him 
you're not rich toward God. The very thing that Paul is warning against is found in this parable. A wealthy man may think that he has need of nothing because it appears that physically he has all that is necessary. And this is the trick of the physical, though. If you, if you stop and think about it, the trick of the physical is it makes us think that we're protected. A man sticks a gun in his pocket because he wants to be protected from a thief. And then he gets in his car and he locks the door so nobody carjacks him. And then he turns on his headlights because it's dark because he wants to be seen and not be hit by anybody. And he pulls out a drunk, hits him, and kills him at that intersection. Was there anything wrong with him preparing? No, nothing at all. In fact, don't misread me. You ought to protect yourself. Don't tempt God by throwing yourself off the top of the temple and expecting an angel to catch you. Well, I'm not going to take any precautions. I'm not going to save any money. I'm not going to put anything aside. I'm not going to do any of that because <laughs> I'm trusting the Lord. Well, I watch me just step off this temple top. I'm trusting the Lord. At what level do you say there's prudence in preparation and then there's tempting God. Because we tempt God when we act like the grasshopper and not like the ant. Don't be foolish and think, I'll just spend every dime I make today and not worry about tomorrow. It's even commended of grandparents to lay aside money for their grandchildren. Is that faithlessness? No, that's called generational wealth. That has always been lauded in the scriptures as a good and a godly thing. So as you, you who have children here today, you need to be thinking there's going to come the day they will have children. Should the Lord be merciful? And how might I better prepare? Now, if those preparations, like this rich man's preparations, cause you not to pray for God's hand upon you, then you're trusting in uncertain riches. If you say, I don't need God because I have Smith and Wesson. I don't need God because I have Master Lock and Quickset and Schlage. I don't need God because I have money. Why pray when I have what I need? Would be the argument of the wealthy man who is not trusting in God. It is because... The problem is because what you need really isn't physical. What is physical is the tool that you're to use while you're here on this earth for the glory of God. The physical can become a distraction in an instant. Our scripture says, charge them that are rich in this world. Charge them. Give them this command that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. This is who they must trust in, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, it sounds like he's picking on the wealthy there, doesn't it? Now, you need to tell them because they're... Well, you know what? The poor man rarely says, I don't have anything. I think I'll trust in nothing. That's not, that's not what his temptation is. The temptation for the poor man is to lay there and worry and to fret. But you know what the temptation for the rich man is? To worry and fret because somebody could break through and steal. Moth and rust could come through and corrupt. All of these things could happen. Uh, we've heard of people that... Uh, there was a story of an Amish fella up, up in uh, Etheridge whose house was burning and they, they literally had to hold him down 
as he was trying to get in and tear the boards off the side of the house because he'd been stashing money in the walls for years and years and years. And that house just burned up and poof, all of his life savings were gone. And, that, and he nearly killed himself trying to get to that physical money. And so the charge is very real here. Charge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So the admonition is for us, us very wealthy Americans here tonight. We who have an abundance. You will throw away more food in a week than many people have to eat in a week. So keep that in mind as you consider how good and gracious God has been and let us not trust in those uncertain riches. We'll pick back up there, Lord willing, on the 14th. Um, I'll see you back here this coming Lord's Day. So let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your continued kindness toward us. Lord, we are indeed a wealthy, wealthy group of people. Oh, our monies seem like they get short at the end of the week or the end of the month, but Lord, we're so blessed. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the sustenance you've given us and the substance upon which we live. Lord, help us never to just trust in that, though. Help us to trust in the living God. Father, forgive us when we've been greedy. Forgive us when we've been money grubbers. Forgive us when we've been stingy. For you have never been stingy to us, but have always given your children what they needed and in abundance. I pray now that you would protect us as we travel home tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.